Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus, because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. who are watching and listening online, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. In this Advent season, we are preparing ourselves to celebrate the coming of Christ by meeting some of the cast of characters present in the events surrounding his arrival. Last week, we met Zechariah and Elizabeth, and today we meet their son, John, born to them in their old age and destined to play a special role in the story of God. You may remember that baby John and baby Jesus first met when they were both still in the womb. Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth, and baby John leapt for joy in his mother's womb when Mary arrived carrying baby Jesus. Months after that, when John is born, his neighbors, who are aware of the unusual circumstances surrounding John's birth, his neighbors wonder in verse 66, what then is this child going to be? What is he going to grow up to do? What does God have in store for this little baby who will grow up to be a man? Now, his father, Zechariah, had a pretty good idea of what this baby would grow up to be and to do. We read this passage earlier, but I want to look at it again. In verse 76, Zechariah says about this baby, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. 
What a beautiful description of John's ministry from a father's perspective. Years later, though, ask his neighbors, and they will tell you that that baby grew up to be a bit of a weirdo. As he moved out to the wilderness and lived as a wild man, other accounts tell us that he dressed in garments of camel hair, and he survived on a diet of locusts and wild honey. And assuming he was raised a Nazarite, which we believe he was, he also had a head of long, wild hair. And this wild man stayed out in the wilderness until the word of the Lord came to him. And then he came to the people of Israel as a prophet of God. And in the Hebrew scriptures, the prophets were a weird lot. Years ago in Tulsa, I had a guy say to me, you know what's wrong with the modern church? Not enough prophetic preaching. We need preachers today to preach the message and preach the word like the prophets of old. And I remember when he said this thinking to myself, have you ever even read the prophets? And if you have, have you forgotten how they communicated their message? Do you really want that kind of preaching in your church? Because they employed what we might describe as creative teaching methods. Hosea was a prophet. And God had him marry a woman that you would not want to bring home to mama to make a point. And God had Ezekiel lie on his left side for 390 days. In Hebrew, Ezekiel means bed sores. And then he had him flip over and lie on his right side for another 40 days to make a point. Isaiah had to walk around naked and barefoot for three years to make a point. Is that the kind of preaching you want in your church? Because even when they were fully clothed, standing upright, not married to promiscuous women, they still didn't pull any punches. Amos, the prophet in Amos chapter four, said to the wealthy women of Israel, you cows of Bashan, you sit around in luxury and ask your husbands to bring you more drinks. That's prophetic preaching. As Frederick Buchner once said, no one ever invited a prophet to dinner more than once. And prophetic preaching, understand though, is essential. In a world of lies and self-deception, we need a prophet to hold up the mirror and tell us the truth about ourselves, even though it's often painful. And sometimes that truth is so painful, it wakes us up so that we repent we change, we make a necessary adjustment. Sometimes it's just painful enough to make us want to kill the prophet for daring to speak the truth to us or in a more civilized age to make sure we never ever invite that prophet to dinner or to our church ever again. And John was a prophet in the tradition of the prophets of old, in his appearance and in his message. We find a sampling of his preaching in Luke chapter three. Verse one, Luke tells us it was the 15th year of the reign of emperor Tiberius. 
when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod, the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the ruler of the region of Idurea and Trachonitis. It was also when Lysanias was the ruler of Abilene. And it was during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And that's when the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This was not a happy time for most in Israel. It's one of the reasons I think Luke gives us that list of the names of all those who were in charge during that time. Because the people could name all the things that were wrong with their world. They had the wrong rulers. They had the wrong leaders. Their land was occupied by foreigners, outsiders who worshiped the wrong God or the wrong gods. They believed it was wrong that they as the people of God were not living free in the land God gave them. They could find all kinds of things that were wrong with their world. And they were longing for, they were waiting for God's true leader, the Messiah to come and make right all of those wrongs. But what they got first was John coming out of the wilderness and telling these people who are desperate to change everything about their world that the first change they need to make is within themselves. He told them that the change they were so desperately longing to see started with them, not with their enemies, not with their leaders, not with those who were in charge. It started inside of them. By coming out of the wilderness and setting up his ministry along the edges of the Jordan River, he also is reminding the people of their history after the Exodus. When Israel came out of the wilderness, crossed the Jordan River, and then entered the promised land to live as the people of God. By calling them back to the Jordan, where they would be baptized, he's calling them to confess their sins and admit that they have made a mess of their lives in the promised land. But he's also, he's also giving them the opportunity to go back to the beginning, go back to the Jordan where it all started and start over with God as the people of God. This is why Luke describes his baptism as a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They were confessing their sins. They were also being forgiven so that they could start over. But even John, whose nickname was the baptizer, didn't think baptism was enough. He said in verse 7, said this to the crowds who were coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance because the ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So we probably don't need to let John be a greeter. Not gonna put him at the door to welcome folks. This is what he says to the people who are responding positively to his preaching. 
They're coming forward to be baptized. And he says, you're a bunch of snakes. He will not let them simply go through the religious motions of repentance. He wants them to produce authentic fruit of repentance because as he says, fruitless trees are being cut down and burned. He's warning them of judgment. And when in verse 10, the crowd said, well, what shall we do then? I mean, they're listening. They're responding. What shall we do? What should we do? He says to them, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And then some soldiers, and these were likely Herod's soldiers who functioned as a police force in the region. They asked, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Do you notice in each of these examples, for John, the fruit of repentance looks like justice and generosity. He does not call the people to be more religious. He doesn't say, pray more, read your Bible more, not that there's anything wrong with that. He doesn't say, attend synagogue more often. Go on Wednesday nights if they still offer it, or go to the temple and offer a more expensive sacrifice. That's not what he tells them to do. He says, starting over with God, preparing yourself for the Messiah means changing the way you handle your money and your possessions and changing the way you treat other people when money and possessions are involved. This is what Messiah receiving readiness, Messiah receiving repentance looks like in John's preaching. Of course, the people wonder, is you think he might be the one? Is it possible he's the Messiah we've been waiting for? But John is clear to say, no, 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 no. I am not the one. There's another one who's coming. He's greater than I am. He's talking about the one, of course, that made him leap for joy in his mother's womb all those years before. He's coming. It's not me. And then Luke, I love how he characterizes John's preaching as good news. He said, John proclaimed good news to the crowds. Now, if this is what good news sounds like, wouldn't you love to hear what bad news sounds like from John? But it is good news because a prophetic call to repentance is an act of God's grace because God is warning God's people that they are on the wrong path, a path headed for destruction. He's warning them that they are fruitless trees and the ax is being sharpened. A prophetic call to repentance, even though it's usually harsh and painful and makes us uncomfortable, is good news because it's a warning. It's an opportunity from God to change, to make an adjustment, to go back to the beginning and start over before it's too late. More specifically, John's message is also good news because he is preparing them for and he's pointing them to Jesus. Which is why it's also customary during the season of Advent for us to read and dwell on John's story as we're preparing 
to receive Jesus, as we're preparing for Jesus's second coming. So I wonder, if John were here today as a prophet, an Advent prophet, I wonder what he would say to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. I wonder how John would evaluate our preparation to celebrate the birth of the Lord. What might John say to us? I think like all good prophets, he would warn us. He would tell us that we're in danger. He would tell us how easy it is to lose sight of Jesus in the midst of the hustle and bustle of this busy season. He might tell us that if part of our preparation to celebrate the birth of Christ gets us so worked up that we cuss out the driver who cuts in front of us in a busy parking lot, we're probably doing it wrong. He'd remind us that we are not celebrating the birth of the Prince of Stress. He might tell us not to use the birth of Jesus as an excuse to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And to instead get out of debt as fast as we can so that we have money available to help those who are in real trouble. He might tell us instead of draining our brain trying to figure out what to get that person who already has everything to instead share out of our abundance with those who do not have enough. He might tell us that a spirit of entitlement, what we think we're owed, what we think we deserve, a spirit of entitlement and a spirit of gratitude cannot coexist within the same heart. It's impossible. And for the children's sermon, he might say to our kids, hey, do not confuse your wish list with an order form. Well, the truth is we probably wouldn't invite John to Christmas dinner because he'd make us uncomfortable. He'd call us to repent and bring our celebration of the coming of the Lord more in line with the character of Christ. But I also think, like all good prophets, he'd give us some good news. He would tell those of us who in years past have lost sight of Jesus and made a mess of Christmas. And he'd tell those of us who in the past year have lost sight of Jesus and made a mess of our lives. He'd tell us that you can go back to the beginning and start over. He'd call us to repent, to change, to adjust, to turn around, but he would also tell us that forgiveness is available in Christ, that the Lord is gracious and merciful and loves to forgive. Now, that's right. John would point us to Christ because that's always been his job. So in the spirit of starting over with Christ, I invite you to stand and read with me this prayer of confession and repentance. Let's read and pray this out loud together. 
Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. And for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And God is gracious to those who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. May you go in peace and produce the fruit of repentance. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.